This episode of the Gondrepreneur podcast is made possible by Arroya, a comprehensive cannabis production platform for commercial growers. If you are a commercial cannabis grower, you can use Arroya to level up your production workflow. Featuring a combination of precision instruments and powerful software that help you intelligently cultivate, dry, and process cannabis, the Arroya Cannabis Production Platform is your ticket to greater yields and consistent quality. Request a quote today online at arroya.io. That's A-R-O-Y-A dot I-O. Hi, I'm Kara Woodstock, culture editor at Gondrepreneur and host of our YouTube show, Fresh Cut. The best way to understand cannabis business is to speak directly to those who work within it. And Fresh Cut was created to shine recognition on the people who fill these roles. In this interview series, we focus on those with their hands in the dirt, both literally and figuratively, from cultivators to bud tenders, educators to advocates, activists to lobbyists. We aim to illuminate the workers who keep this industry thriving. Enjoy one-on-one conversations with me and guests by watching along on the Gondrepreneur YouTube channel and follow our social channels to keep up with the latest episodes. Have a great day. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I am joined by Joseph Ori. He's the co-founder, general counsel, and government relations for Six Labs, one of Michigan's largest craft cannabis cultivators with a complete focus on quality and precision and a passion for advanced research, development, and technology. How are you doing this afternoon, Joseph? Pleasure to have you. I'm doing great, TG. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. So, you know, as a lot of our listeners know, I actually spent a year in Detroit. I love the city. Uh, I was there uh, when they legalized cannabis, but was not there when they actually started sales. Uh, I did go to a cannabis cup there, which is a story for another day that has been posted (laughs) to the website. Uh, But before we discuss uh, Six Labs and, and craft cannabis, which is really exciting, tell me about yourself, man. You, you obviously wear many hats for Six Labs. So tell me about what you do there and your background. How'd you end up in the cannabis space? Uh, so, well, the cannabis space sort of called out to me, I think. But I have, uh, you know, I have a background. Uh, you know, I played uh, sports competitively my whole life. And uh most of the most of it was spent playing football toward the uh, you know the latter part of my teens, and then I ended up playing college football, and I actually ended up with two back surgeries while in college. And you know, back in the the nineties, you know, they were giving out Percocet and Oxycontin like it was you know like like it was candy, and, and we didn't you know obviously didn't know any of the effects of uh, of those substances and the addictive quality. And I was yes, so I was one of the lucky ones because I didn't react well to them. And, but I was in extreme amount of pain all the time. I mean, I'm talking back since I was, you know, ate myself, but since I was 20. So I, you know, stumbled upon cannabis in college and, you know, whereas most people were using it just, you know, recreationally to have some fun. 
I started to notice that, you know, it was alleviating my pain. Um, and whereas you drank alcohol and I'd feel like shit the next day. I, I mean, I was completely dehydrated. My back would kill me even more. We'll raise cannabis. It wasn't. So I became sort of self-medicating myself over the years. And then as this industry grew and they started to actually acknowledge that there were medicinal qualities and sort of at the same time that the, the parabola was going downward for uh, opioids and all the you know exposure, negative exposure that they rightly received, I, I said, you know, there's there, I, I'm a believer in this. Uh, and so the opportunity presented itself to, you know, I've been an investor in cannabis, uh, you know, separately before Six Labs. And so the opportunity presented itself that Six Labs, I mean, sorry, that Michigan was opening up to a new uh, set of rules and they were going to, you know, open up to larger cultivators and, you know, go recreationally legal. And my partners and I saw an opportunity. We bought some land out there and we got it done. Uh, approved locally and you know we raised tons of money um and you know got this thing off the ground uh, we're all in our you know the challenge we had was you know I, I tell people this a lot is that we we were all in our 40s so you know we're seasoned businessmen um and one of the things that comes with that is that you, you know what you're doing you know how to run a business and by that point in time in your life you, you know some people who you know got some wealth so we were able to raise money. We were able to put together this, this company, you know, relatively easy in the sense that we all had a role. Um, and the challenge was is that once it started to take off, we all had to leave our careers. So, you know, my, my, my main breadwinning uh, background is that, I, you know, I'm a trial attorney uh, for 25 years. And I'm also, you know, a restaurateur. And, you know, I've owned record labels, been a sports agent. I've done a lot of things in my life. But this this was basically saying, okay, you know, you have to sort of take a step back from what you're doing every day. And my law firm, you know, I've had to put some people in place because I'm the I'm the founder and, and owner of that law firm. But I've had to put some people in place to sort of help me out and bring some, you know, younger attorneys up and make them partners and share the piece of the pie, so to speak. So it's been a, it's been a journey. I mean, uh, it's exciting, and you know, we're we're really happy with where we're sitting right now. But obviously, we'd say that in cannabis every year is like a dog. I mean, every month is like a dog, a dog year. So we'll see how it goes. No, I mean, that is a really incredible journey. You know, going back a little bit, you said that you were an, early, an investor in cannabis companies before uh, you, you launched your own. T tell me about the, the, maybe not the companies that you invested in per se, but, but what drew you to those companies in that, in that early stages? Well, so, you know, what happened was is that Illinois, you know, got in the game. I'm not going to say they were the first ones, but the medical aspect of, uh, of cannabis in Illinois was pretty early on. So I was approached by, you know, several entities that was a couple of which are massive companies now and, you know, trying to get me to invest in their company, which I did. And then I got approached by some other, you know, groups that actually wanted to do uh, what we did, uh, which is, you know, actually take a role in the company um, and get it off the ground and get licensed in Illinois and, you know, see where the, you know, see where it took you. And I, at that point in time was too ingrained in what I was doing professionally as a trial attorney. And, um, I had some very, you know, I, I, I represent people who can't represent themselves. So I, I do catastrophic injury and I represent a lot of people who would never be able to pay me, you know, if they had to. So I work for free unless I win and, you know, representing, you know, 
infants that are injured at birth and things like that. And, you know, construction workers who, you know, are severely injured on the job. And I was ingrained in a lot of big cases. I couldn't walk away, but so I kind of had that itch back then. And then, you know, sort of as I got, found myself, you know, five, six years later uh, with this opportunity in Michigan, it just made sense to do that uh, at that time because I had surrounded by partners and my partners are guys I've known for many, many years. And it was really odd because, you know, one of the things that I, as an entrepreneur, as, I, as I've learned is, you know, it's one thing to have a great idea. It's one thing to have a great plan and to get funded, but to have yourself surrounded out of the gate with people who you know and you trust. And also, I mean, if I tell you this, you probably wouldn't believe it, but, you know, so what do you need to run a business, right? You need, well, you need an attorney, you know, you need, if you're going to build something, you need a builder. If you're going to have finances, you need an accountant. And, you know, if you need operations, you need a guy who knows operations. Well, all five of my partners, you know, my other partners had these. I, one of my partners is a, is, a, is a certified accountant. He's had a background in banking. You know, I've got another partner who was a builder, uh, you know, and left his career as a builder to build our facility. And, you know, and we've got other guys who fell into place, you know, that were also, you know, key critical roles in the company. So we didn't really have to go outside of us to sort of have at least the nuts and bolts of, of building a business. Now, learning cannabis space, totally different animal. And, you know, we needed to bring in, you know, the right people to sort of, you know, roll the cannabis and, and know what the market was. So we have funny things. We have most of our partners are in our 40s. I actually turned 50 recently. And, uh, but my but we have a young guy who's like 30 years old. He started with us when he's 27. He's our cannabis guy, you know, so <laughs> he was our cannabis expert. It, was it when when you were searching for that cannabis guy, was the majority of the people younger? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we learned right out of the gate, you know, and, and, you know, this goes along with, you know, some of the things you and I were discussing before the podcast, just separately, you know, the image of this industry has changed, you know, so we started going out to find head of cultivation and, you know, head flower managers and veg managers. And, you know, we first went in, you know, what we did was an immense amount of due diligence before we even stepped foot into, you know, this industry. We, we toured all over California, Colorado, Oregon. We went to, we knocked on doors. We went into all the facilities we can get into, the cultivation facilities, processing facilities, dispensaries. We wanted to know what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but we saw some pretty deplorable situations out there. And we said, okay, so how are we going to separate ourselves from all these people. So we took notes and said, okay, these are the things that are seen to be working. And then let's look at where the new frontier is going to be in this industry. And one of the things we were leaning toward was the possibility still exists of the federal government legalizing it. And we thought, well, if the federal government legalizes it and the FDA gets involved in as much as it, 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 it addresses the, the medical side of this, of this uh, product, of this product, I don't even know if we call it a product, I guess we can call it a commodity. And then we're going to have to meet certain standards. So we basically said, let's build a facility that's forward thinking um, and may cost us more money than we want than, than most of these other facilities would cost us. But let's build it with forward thinking technology. Let's build it to be, to be you know, retrofitted with futuristic technology if need be. And so that's what we did. So we, we did an extraordinary amount of homework 
Um, and to be able to create, and you know, I, I brag about this because we haven't been told anything differently. I mean, we have people come through our facility from other states and guys from cannabis way more than than the five of us when we started out. You know, been in the business for ten years or so. They've never seen anything like our facility, and we, you know, we continually get these accolades from people, and it's helped us because we've landed some big licensing deals just based off of our operations and where our facility, you know, appears. So, um, you know, we're, we're saying basically to sum it up is, you know, if, if, if our, if the FDA gets involved and, and our cannabis doesn't pass whatever those regulations may be, then no one else's is, you know, and we said, so that's what we wanted to do. And then, you know, that's what we're trying. And, and to your point with the FDA, I mean, I've always sort of maintained that, you know, everyone's, oh, we want federal legalization, but they're just, I, I believe that they're just going to make it more onerous and, and a much sort of uh, harder for current operators in states uh, because federal regulations are going to be far behind those of the states at that point. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really odd because I thought maybe this new administration, there was going to be a major push right away, you know, um, to do something. and. You know, it's a little bit lagging more than I thought it was going to be. And what I think is, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, federal legalization. I think what they're going to do is just they're going to ultimately schedule it and they're going to leave it up to states to, to do what they have to do, you know, what they're currently doing, um, which is, you know, is allowing their inside, you know, operations, the, the companies that are in their state to build their industry. And then I, you know, think it will be, somewhat like, you know, the, the real question will be interstate commerce, you know, yeah. and, you know, like if you have Illinois, you know, which is weird because we've actually talked about this. So we have Illinois and Michigan, but we're not contiguous except unless you cross Lake Michigan. So you have to go through Indiana to get to Michigan. Yeah. And Indiana is not, you know, not going to go legal anytime soon. So we're like, okay, if, if we open up interstate commerce, you know, are we going to be able to cross over into Illinois through Indiana or can we take boats across Lake Michigan and go to Illinois and, and sell product. I mean, those are legitimate questions yeah. that we have no idea, you know, what, what's going to happen. Cause it would, you know, barring true federal legalization where they just say, okay, we're taking over control of this and here's what's going to happen. You don't really know how it's going to play itself out. I mean, alcohol sales have been largely kept, you know, outside of federal preemption and such trying to get too legal with you, but, you know, federal preemption basically says federal laws preempt state laws. Now there's been exceptions to that. One of those has been alcohol. If you compare cannabis to alcohol, at least from a recreational standpoint, it would follow that they're going to leave it up to the states. You know, as this state says it's 18 years old, that state says it's 21. This state has restrictions on, uh, and, and local municipalities have restrictions on what can be sold, what times it can be sold, who it can be sold to and when and where. So it still looks like it's always going to be maintained within the confines of each state, at least from my perspective. No, and 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 they've done the same thing with with cigarettes. Now in in New York, it's twenty one. Um, so to your point, I, I do want to sort of switch gears a little bit and and talk to you about you know sort of craft cannabis. Um, tell me how Six Labs and yourself defines craft cannabis. So that's a great question. So, um, you know, it, it's not it's not synonymous with top shelf cannabis. Um, you know, craft uh, cannabis we feel is defined by four qualities, uh, which is smell, 
flavor, uh, experience, and appearance. And, you know, top shelf, usually we, we, we say that top shelf cannabis has to have at least high, high rankings on all three, on three of those four. Whereas craft cannabis will have the, the, the all four of them. And the most important one, I think, is experience. And, you know, there's other distinguishing features that will make craft cannabis separate itself from, from top shelf which is, you know, the terpene profiles, the potency, the cannabinoid profiles, and tolerance. And when you get into tolerance is where I really think the difference is. is craft cannabis, we say, is, you know, like a, like, like a craft wine, okay? It's got different features. Now, what we, try to, what we try to do is we say, if you can create batches of cannabis that are consistent, in smell, flavor, appearance, and most importantly, experience, and also, you know, try to create profiles that will will keep the user from growing a tolerance to it. So, meaning, you know, if you take it, you know, if you if you are an edible fan, you know, you're taking a 10 milligram edible, you know, uh, that's that's from flower that you know it's from it's from it's born of flour that it was craft flour or you you smoke a, 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 a half gram, you know, uh, of pre-roll. Are you going to get the same effect and the same level of experience today as you will six months from now, or are you going to have to start smoking, you know, a whole gram, right? Or are you going to have to take two edibles? So we're trying to, we're basically saying the craft cannabis is, you know, is always going to be, we believe that, it always will be special. It'll always have its own place. So what we kind of set out to do is said, you know, we're going to try to spend, and we have the ability with our facility to do that. We're going to try to, we're going to try to make craft cannabis at a larger scale. We're going to try to, we're going to try to compete with the guys who are, are making, you know, who have a, a 3000 square foot grow or 5,000 square foot grow, focus on a couple of strains and say, this is the craft cannabis, the best quality that you can possibly have. We said, we're going to try to do that in a larger scale. We're going to get that much attention. We're going to give it that much time, energy, and, and, and create a climate and an environment where we can do that at a larger scale. It's very challenging. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to make it precise and as clean as possible. And precision is, is, is the main goal of our company. So you're the first person uh, that I've ever spoken to who, who puts such an emphasis on experience. And when you have these conversations with people, which you must do in order to be meeting these sort of goals, when you ask them, what experience are you looking for? Something like that. What's the response that you get most often? So, you know, I, I guess to answer that question, it's like, you know, if if you're at a dinner party and, you know, you're with some friends and the subject of cannabis comes up, you know, you you're you're likely, you know, not talking about strain names, you know, because it, it's confusing. And one of the things, you know, and, and I can say this, I've, 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 I've been in a, a customer for years and I was like, OK, what, what does this even mean? Right. It's basically trying to say, okay, do we have the ability right now 
to say that you will have this specific experience from this strain. No. And what we've learned too is that, you know, sativa, indica, and hybrid is is really, there's no true sativas in Everything is sort of a hybrid, you know, there's no true indica. So to say, okay, well, one's going to kind of make you sleepy or tired and chilled out. The other one's going to give you energy, you know, allow you to maybe focus better just based on strain is not really the truth. So what they're realizing is the entourage effect of, of certain levels of terpenes and ratios of cannabinoids, you know, THC is not necessarily the, the main thing. It's like, you know, it's still, I see that there's, you know, you, you, you can grow THC high potency THC product and you'll get tons of money for it. You know, at, even at the wholesale level, everybody wants 28%, 30%. And I don't think that it, this, this industry is moving toward that. I think it's moving away from that. I think, you know, right. people want, don't want to get blown out of their minds necessarily. They, they would prefer to have an experience. So while we can't say that we have reached the point where I can tell you, hey, buy this and you're going to feel this. I think that what we are moving forward and we're working on, we're working on a product line that's coming out. We have, we're a house of brands. So, you know, we, we have five products and we we're working on a sixth and one of our products we're saying is, is going to be geared toward allowing you to select it based on how, what you want to do. So, and to heighten that experience. So if you're going to go, you know, if you, if you want to be creative, we're going to say, this is going to help you be more creative. If you want to just chill out and watch a movie and not, not think, then this, this is a strain. This, this is a product, not a strain, but this is a product that will heighten that experience. If you want to explore, this is a product that will heighten the experience. And, you know, frankly, I think that there's, you know, some, something to be said for the possibility that there will be heightened sexual experiences with certain products, you know? So what we're trying to do is not tell, because you can't, I don't think you can yet. I don't think you tell the end user, you all are going to feel this way every single one. But I do think that we're at the point where we can say that if you're going to do this occasion-based, right, occasion-based, this is the product. You will have a better time doing this with that. That's what we're aiming for. How, how do you R&D this, man? Oh, so, <laughs> so you do, you know, um, you you test it uh, on uh, your many employees. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, 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 you sample a product and, you know, um, we, you know, that's what we do. I mean, and it's not just simply that, you know, we're, we're, you know, Israel is, is, is got a lot of research that comes out of there. They're very, very passionate about it. Um, more toward the medical, I'll be honest, but, yeah, but you, there would, you learn a lot from the medical that you can, you can garner and, 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 and sort of follow the, the process of, you know, if you have a particular strain that is more leaning towards sativa and you can combine, you know, the terpene profiles and the CBD, uh, you know, ratios, because those work against each other and, you know, and you can combine them together, you know, um, and consistently grow it with that ratio. You're going to, you know, you may have, like I said, you may, you may have 
eight out of 10 people who use it and say they had that experience. Okay. You know, and, and to be fair, it's like, okay, when I gave you my example with my opioid experience, you know, I'm one of the, you know, they'll, they'll give you a million things what the drug can do to you. Right. And so most people are just going to feel what it's supposed to. And they don't tell, they didn't tell you that, you know, a vast majority of these people become addicted, but they also, you know, some people just don't feel well. And some people have, you know, nausea and vomiting. So there's I don't think there's a single substance out in the world uh, that's even been tested and approved by the FDA can guarantee a specific experience, a specific feeling. But if you can do it to the extent where there's a majority, a vast majority of expectation that, you know, you're likely to have this sensation when you, when you utilize this particular product, um, and you can rely on that and it works for you. And, you know, you, you know, I mean, let's face facts. The one beauty is, is that, you know, I, I think I read something recently that there's still not a single account of anyone dying from overdosing on cannabis. Yeah, okay. no, it's basically impossible. Basically impossible. So, you know, you, you may have to try it, you know, and you may have to go out and buy it and say, okay, well, you know, Hey, six labs is telling you, they've got this line of cannabis out here. And this is what, you know, this is for your occasion based. And you say, I'm going to try it. We think your result will be satisfactory. I think that's what we that's what we're aiming for. So you know, moving things on a little bit. You know, when I when I said at the top, you know, I'd been in Michigan and it was still medical, and I went to a, a cannabis cup, and you know, I did get blown out of my mind by somebody with dabs. And and to your point, I do think that we are moving away to that of that sort of high test stuff. Um, you know, I'm a guy who's been smoking, uh, using cannabis since I was. 15 16 years old and now i much prefer five milligram 10 milligram edibles i mean either i'm getting old or i i don't like to be as fucked up anymore but um and then you know it, they they legalized in 2016 you know the the first midwestern state uh to legalize recreationally um obviously they didn't get up and running before illinois because uh you know illinois just pritzker was like we're doing this we're doing it now Tell me about Michigan's industry seven years after voters have approved the reforms. Is it where uh, people think that it should be? Is it, is, it, is it an operator? Is it satisfactory uh, business climate? So, you know, it, that's a that's a that's a tough question to answer in as broad of a, of a term. So, you know, you know. Legal cannabis, you know, particularly in Michigan has, you know, in the initial stages struggled under the weight of, you know, and pressure of scaling cultivation and led to quality issues on the larger cultivation, um, you know, level, which, you know, the which allowed caregivers to sell to, you know, dispensaries directly because they were the only ones who were making cannabis, you know, creating cannabis that, you know, was available. Um, and that, you know, could be used. So it took a while to get the cultivators up and running, the larger cultivators. Um, and they were, you know, the, the, the entire sector was slow to deliver the results that they expected. And a lot of it, when you know, I think at one point in time, not so long ago, about 70% of the larger cultivator cannabis wasn't passing, testing. So, you 70%. know, 70%. 70, yes. That's so, you know, um, so, you know, um, while the challenges, you know, were the most, were, were most pronounced then, 
I think today, you know, there, there's a difference. It's different. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of larger cultivators online. There's a, it's robust competition. Um, but you know, Michigan is a, is a, you know, is, is like a, it's like nobody understands this, man. It has a long history rooted in cannabis. I mean, you know, when Ann you, Arbor itself. I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable, man. It's like it's almost like California. It's it's wild how much how deep rooted cannabis use is in, in in Michigan. And you know, the funny thing is, is like you know, we're 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 being challenged by you know a, you know black market. I mean, there's you know there there the seizures at the border. Okay, I give it a little bit of a little bit of fact. You know, the seizures at the border in 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 2019 and 20. I'm sorry, in early 2020 to late 2020, increased like 1,800 percent. They were they were seizing massive truckloads of commercial grade cannabis at the border coming in from Canada because Canada can't get their shit straight. You know, they 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 have. So many companies out there that have so much product because they have a huge black market problem that they're shipping their quality, high quality, you know, packaged goods through the United States, the border of Michigan, you know, in Windsor, they're getting seized. And guess what the guess what the penalty was in 2020? And I don't think it's any different now. And in 2019, it was it was five thousand dollar fine per ton. Per ton. Per ton. So I mean. I like my chances, right? If I'm a guy <laughs> in Canada, I'm like, well, eh, you know what? And guess and, and nobody was arrested according to these accounts I've read. And uh, they were just sent back up to Canada and their passports were revoked to come to the United States. So, you know, I'll take my chances all day, you know? So that's what you're competing with, but you still see the sales, you know, going through the roof. So, you know, we kind of look at it, we're like, man, if they could just, so it's like everybody says about 70% still black market cannabis, you know, in, in being sold, in, you know, in the United States in general, and then pretty close to that ratio in Michigan. And you're like, okay, if we could just chip away 10% of these people, right. You know, and the sales are still robust. Imagine what it would really be. So we're hoping, you know, that with, you know, education will, will come, you know, people saying, okay, you know, we're going to shift. We're going to, we're not going to buy it from, you know, this black market dealer down the street. We're going to buy it, you know, from a licensed entity where it's highly tested, highly regulated. Hey, and oh, by the way, this company, Six Labs says, you know, hey, we might have stuff that's more sensation, you know, more occasion-based for you. And you can rely on it. You can always know the consistency and you can always know the cleanliness. That's what we're hoping changes, but it's going to be some time before, you know, that changes. We look at alcohol, we're like, okay, after prohibition, you know, there were still people making whiskey, you know, moonshine, right? It took a long time and some government regulation and brands to really come out, you know, to, to, to do away with that type of, you know, mentality. So, you know, I think we're a ways away, but, you know, um, we're, we're, it's growing in the sense that there's, you know, I'm, I mean, I think in Illinois, we're actually waiting for our grow license award, which has been over a year since we, we had a pending and a COVID and a bunch of host yeah. of other issues in Illinois have not allowed us to find out whether we want our grow license here. But I mean, their, their taxes on cannabis, and granted they're taxing the hell out of it here, uh, which doesn't help to fight the black market either. But they their tax in twenty in twenty twenty the taxes of, of cannabis uh, beat alcohol sales taxes. So 
You know, it's amazing. Well, I understand your frustration as as an operator, you know, about the 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 illicit market. And part of the problem is taxes, because I can go to my boy down the street, get an ounce for two hundred dollars. If I go to Massachusetts, I'm dropping four fifty. Correct. And and that's that's a hard pill to swallow. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we had actually we have some friends on the border of Indiana and Michigan, which is really, there's the only drive through Michigan, Indiana for about 30 miles to get to Michigan. So from Illinois. So you turn around, you know, you make that turn around, around the east part of the lake and you're in Michigan. Well, we had guys, you know, who were, and still are going, taking the drive to Michigan to buy commercial grade, you know, tested cannabis rather than buying it in Illinois because Illinois' taxes is like 40% almost. And Michigan's isn't that bad. Um, Michigan, I think actually, one of the beautiful things that separates Michigan from a lot of other states is that the tax isn't as great. So that helps us, but you're still, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're budget conscious, no matter where you're at, I think you're, you're doing exactly what you just said. You're, you know, you're going to go buy your cannabis to get a higher quality quantity rather than quality, you know, to save yourself some money. And, and especially if it's something you've been doing for years. But, you know, the funny thing is, TG, is that, you know, I, I kind of tell people this all the time, you know, it's like all the years of consuming cannabis, right? And you're just like, okay, we didn't know where the hell it came from half the time. And, you know, it was all probably grown out, outdoors, you know, and who knows what they were using and are still using on it to, to kill, you know, to kill the infiltrates and to get rid of pests. And, and I'm thinking myself, you know, because what we're doing indoors, we can control all of the climate. Every single aspect of everything is dialed in. It's still challenging to do it the right way and keep it clean. It's not like, it's not like just pushing a button, man. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of attention to detail. And I can't, so I tell people, I can't imagine what was in the shit that we were smoking, you know, when we were younger. I mean, you know, I, I went to school in New York City and there was, you know, who knows where it was coming from. I mean, it could have been coming from any one of 10 different places. And I can't imagine that they were caring too much, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, Rafa Quintana, you know, uh, down in Mexico, you know, or somebody out in Humboldt County was caring too much about what they were using to kill the pests. I just, I don't know. I mean, growing up for sure, I definitely smoked some mildewy products. Uh, when you're 18, it doesn't matter what you put in your body anyway, does it? Um, so we, we we talked briefly about, you know, sort of the, the history of cannabis in Michigan. We didn't really get into it, but if I'm not mistaken, Ann Arbor was one of the first cities in the United States to legalize it medically and, um, you know, yeah. part of the history, right? Some people have began calling Michigan the second Emerald Triangle. And so I'm wondering if you could sort of speak to why it's uh, gotten this moniker. Well, I, I think, like I said, because of how deep rooted, you know, cannabis has been in the state. And there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of private growing. And, you know, there's 30,000 caregivers, you know, who, you know, many of them who, you know, are very, very highly experienced growers and been doing it for, you know, some for generations, I think, um, you know, prior to it becoming legal. And, you know, there's, we have a robust set of strains that can compete with any state, you know, and 
I mean, obviously we don't have our, you know, in famed Humboldt County as California has, you know, for the Emerald, the Emerald Coast or whatever, you know, but we do have every bit of the competition that California does. You know, I mean, we have, you know, that that I would say is one of the, the greatest features of Michigan, which separates it, is that there's, you know, because there's such a competition, uh, you know, that the the quality of the strains and what people are trying to do and the innovation that's coming from that is, I believe, put Michigan at the forefront of the Midwest, you know, at a minimum. And, you know, I, I can't necessarily say that we will overtake California, but I do think that we we have a very strong hold on number two at this point, based on the, those factors. Um, and you know, I, I I think that as the you know we're only you know a little bit over what, a year and a half, two years into recreational, you know the strides that the state has made, um, you know, are amazing uh, compared to other states. You know, uh, and so I, I I don't think it's it's an unfair moniker to place on. Do you, do you think eventually it'll be is it, is it, they may change the name of the, the of Detroit from the Motor City to the Kansas City or, or something? Like I mean, if, if 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 you know if the car companies continue to do what they've been doing over the years, which is pulling out, coming back, pulling out, yeah, I, I think that that possibly you know could be the case. You know, uh, there's one of the things that Michigan has that's a little strange is that there's a lot of municipalities that haven't opted in, you know, so what's the, what's the ratio there? Cause I know in Maine, it's, it's pretty out of control. It's like two to one. Yeah. It's pretty close to that. You know, I haven't checked the numbers, but I know that there have been, you know, that there's, I don't want to say numbers cause I haven't checked in a while, but there were some 300, you know, municipalities that still had wow. opted in. Yeah. And only, you know, 200 or so that had, that's the numbers that stick in my head. But like I said, I, I don't want to. Well, I'm sure that also affects the, the you know, illicit sales. I mean, you, when you have all these communities that have no access, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. So, so, I mean, you, you obviously are, are, are really passionate about this. I mean, you know, you go from being a, a successful trial lawyer, um, you know, to, to being a successful cannabis entrepreneur. What advice would you have for entrepreneurs and, and especially people who had careers, you know, before they decided to enter the space? So, you know, I write on this a lot, um, you know, and I published some articles recently about different subjects. The first thing I would say is that you're never too old to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, the only thing that that uh, the difference is, you know, between a, a younger uh, entrepreneur versus an older one is that, you know, younger guys, you know, they don't they have in their minds, they have less to lose. Right. You know, you, you it's sort of the youthful exuberance of blind, you know, uh, understanding. I mean, I told people, I, I started my law practice the day that I graduated law school. And I, I read a book during so while I was studying for the bar exam called How to Start Your Own Law Firm and Not Miss a Meal. And so I read the book and I'm like, wow, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And then I get to the last chapter. And the last chapter basically tells you, okay, so you've been practicing law for five to seven years now, go out and do it. And I'm like, holy shit, wait a minute. I'm <laughs> Cause it was basically assuming 
that you knew a little bit about being a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> you're going to do that. And, and I was like, oh, I was like, shit. I said, I can't, I, I can't go do this. But you know what I said? I said, listen, I, I can figure this out. I'll figure out how to be a lawyer along the way. So I went and applied the same, you know, equation and how they told you how to go about getting to that point of opening your own law practice. I did exactly what it said. And, you know, so in the beginning, I had to co-op a lot with, you know, with older lawyers who I met and said, okay, I've got this case, you know, I'll give you a cut of this if you help me with it. And I made it work. But, you know, I could see how now that same guy is like, you know, if I'm reading that today, I'm like, damn, that's too risky. You know, I've, I've got a good job. I'm like, you know, I'm really going to be able to pull this off. When in reality, you have a way better shot at pulling it off because you know about being a lawyer. You actually know how to do the cases yourself. So it, 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 a lot of it depends on, on your risk, you know, on your risk tolerance. And, you know, I read an article the other day in Psychology Magazine about resilience. And, you know, resilience is something that people think is you're born of it. And, you know, sure, are there some character traits that you might be born with that, that make you somewhat give you the ability to be more resilient? Sure. But resilience is based a lot upon your, your, your social setting and your, your surroundings and who you, are, who you are in bed with, you know, sometimes literally and figuratively, you know, who is your support group? Who are you surrounded by? You know, who's going to pick you up if you fall? Um, and, you know, the, the entrepreneurship is, you know, is, is an incredibly cool concept and everybody wants to talk about it. But the reality is, is that you have to be able to pivot, man. And that's the one thing I will tell you, anybody who's doing it. If you have a plan, you say, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is what the book said. And shit doesn't go that way, man. And if you if you don't have the ability to say, okay, that didn't go exactly how the book said I was going to go, uh, I'm going to figure it out, though. If you don't have that ability, if you're somebody who's just linear, you're going to have a tough time being an entrepreneur because very, very rarely, and I've yet to see anyone who says, I read the book, I applied what it said, and it worked out exactly how it said it was. You know, So you have to be able to be, be resilient you have to be able to pivot. And if you've got those qualities and you're not afraid to lose and to pick up the pieces and try to keep it going, you know, then you're, you're built for it. That's what I would tell people. I, that's really, really great advice, man. And and you, you can just sort of tell even before you read the book, when, you know, the, you get injured playing football and, and that doesn't really work out and you still end up, uh, you know, going on to be successful. I mean, you know, being an attorney and, 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 and sports agent and all these sort of things. I mean, it's a really, really incredible story. And I, I'd, I'd like to definitely, you know, get, get into those details with you at some point uh, a little bit more, man. I, I really thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, I know that we, we may not have, have gotten uh, <laughs> talked too much about craft cannabis as it were, but uh, it's a really incredible story. And, and I, I loved uh, having you on the show and appreciate you coming on. Where can people find out uh, more about you and more about Six Labs? So and just, just go to, you know, at sixlabscannabis.com. And, you know, we, you know, we have all of our updates. We have, you know, we have 
several brands that are out right now. Um, you know, we have six layer flour. We sell direct. We have Candela, which is a line of solventless concentrates that we recently just won the Michigan cannabis cup. We have MI six, which is, you know, your no frills, you know, quality brand available in larger quantities, popcorn and shake. We have strollers, which are mini, mini high quality, uh, pre-rolls that are smaller than your average one, because that's why they're called strollers. <laughs> want to take a little walk on the beach. You know, or you want to, you know, walk your dog. We thought we thought that's the perfect one where you can actually smoke the entire thing and finish it. Dog walkers. Then, yeah, yeah, dog walkers, exactly. <laughs> and then we have we're, we're working still to bring out what we discussed earlier, which is ritual, which would be the the occasion sensation slash slash sensation based. And you know, we're hoping to have that to the point where we can say what we, we discussed earlier, that you can rely on on this giving you this, you know, for this particular occasion. So that's where we're at. And, you know, obviously, you know, sixlabs.com. And, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and all those places. I publish a lot of articles. I do a lot of these podcasts. So hopefully your listeners will, will start following us. That's Joe Ori, man. And really, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, I, I plan to make it back to Detroit one day and we'll definitely take a, be on the lookout for the dog wash walkers, especially. If yeah, for sure. My dog I, likes to walk. Well, yeah, for sure. And if I make my way up skiing, to, uh, you know, in, in the Lake Placid area, I'm going to definitely hit you up. Oh, it's, it's a, and, and, and by then, you know, cannabis should be completely legal and, and, what I grow in my backyard is no longer a crime. He is Joseph Ori, the co-founder, general counsel, and government relations for Six Labs, one of Michigan's largest craft cannabis cultivators with a focus on quality and precision and an obvious passion for advanced research, development, and technology. Joseph, thanks again, man. We'll talk soon. All right, TG. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com on Spotify and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, TG Brandfault. Gontrepreneur.com.